Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Deeper Still, the women's ministry podcast of Christ Church of Oakbrook. My name is Sue Ann Camfield, and I absolutely love being the host of this podcast. It has been one of the most fun things I've gotten to do in 2020. So thanks for stopping by. Thanks for listening in. I hope you're having a great day, no matter where you are or what you're doing. I hope you're finding some rays of sunshine and grace as you walk through your day today. Well, today we are going to continue our conversation on the book of James and what a conversation it has been. We have had the privilege of hearing from so many wise guests that have helped us navigate our way through trials and doubt and temptation and what it means to humble ourselves as we listen to the Word of God. All of that, and we're just beginning chapter two today, which is the crazy thing about the depth and the power of God's word. It just has so much to say. So I hope you've enjoyed the journey so far. And if you've missed any of those episodes, I'd encourage you to go back and listen when you can, because I don't think you'll be disappointed. So one of the big themes in the book of James is this idea of putting our faith into action that we are women who not only hear the word, but we actually take steps of faith and we do what it says. And so for our local women this week, we are going to be collecting items for our local food pantry to support and empower families right in our own neighborhood. So I will share a little bit more about that at the end of the show, but if you want more details, you can visit www.christchurch.us forward slash serve. Well, my friends, I am so excited to introduce our guest for today. She is everyone's favorite, overqualified, uber-competent, Christchurch student ministry intern, Heather DeBoer. Heather grew up as a child of the Christchurch community before heading off to Hope College, where she majored in psychology and biblical studies. She has worked in a variety of youth ministry settings, even serving in a camp out in California, and she is currently getting her Master's of Divinity degree from Northern Theological Seminary. Heather has a huge heart for others. She is a bright and shining light to everyone she meets, and she also happens to be getting married this January to her fiance, Cole. Heather is here to help us guide through this conversation about favoritism and partiality that is going to stir things up as we enter James chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, grab it. If not, that's okay. Just settle in and listen in as Heather and I go deeper still. Well, welcome, Heather. Hi, everyone. Sue Ann, thank you for the sweet introduction. Oh, well, you're welcome. You make it very easy to introduce introduce you sweetly. <laughs> well, thanks. So you have a lot going on in your life right now. You uh, are in seminary. You are working. You are getting married. <laughs> how How are you doing? Yeah. No, thanks for asking. It's, it's certainly um, a lot to think about, but, you know, just taking it one step at a time. And it has been just a really sweet season of getting to plan for the future and to take in all of the the blessings God has given me in this season right now, getting to be with my family and and study and learn at Northern and and then also just getting to, um, I love the students here at Christ Church. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's been just a a season of, uh, yeah, lots of blessings. Lots of, and we need, you need some blessings coming out of 2021 or 2020. (laughs) It's like you have something to look forward to right away in January 2021, which is awesome. Yeah. We're hoping it'll be the party that will inaugurate the the new year. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And we're all invited, right? We're all coming. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So here's a, here's a question I have to ask. Uh So if this embarrasses you, just tell me to stop right now. So you actually are marrying 
the son of our senior <laughs> pastor, Dan Meyer. So what I really want to know is, uh, do you have any dirt on Dan like that we should know? <laughs> just some juicy tidbits of like inside life of the Meyer household. Oh, that is such a good question. Such a bad I question. It. I know. No, I love it. You don't it. have to answer. No, one of my favorite memories with the Myers is one time it was me and Amy and Dan and Cole. And I think it was me and Amy talking. And all of a sudden, Dan and Cole came up with like a bunch of Nerf guns. And so like, the house is fun. They're great. They're, uh, they are just loving and fun. Yes, they, they are real, real people. I think it's one of the questions <laughs> sometimes people ask about Dan, especially like, is he real? Is it? Is he? And I'm like, he is as genuine as they come. He really yeah, absolutely. is. So. No, that is so true. Yes. Well, we are so excited uh, for you guys. So um, before we begin this conversation, I do have to share one little story about you because I want people to know what a rock star you actually are. So we first met in um, the summer of, I was trying to remember what summer that was, 2015, 2016? I think it was 2017, actually. 2017. Mm -hmm. Okay. I feel like I've known you so much longer than that. <laughs> uh, and I first met Heather because... We were um, down a staff person on a student ministry trip, and we were taking a bunch of ninth and 10th graders to Boston, and they needed someone to fill in, and I had just joined staff, and so they, Pete Stearns asked if I wanted to join in, and Heather was the intern leading that trip. And I remember when Pete asked me, um, I thought, oh, okay, so I don't really know Heather, but she's an intern, and so she's a college student. Like, she's going to need someone to really take take her under their wing and really show her the ropes and like really help lead. And um, I just remember you watching. I remember watching you that summer and I was like, oh my gosh, she's so amazing. She does <laughs> not need me to do a single thing. I just sat back and watched you just use the gifts God has given you and shine. And you were so amazing. And I thought this is someone that God has big plans for. And I just, I can't wait to see how that continues to unfold. Mm. Well, thank you, Sue Ann. <laughs> yeah. I really appreciate that. Well, it's a true story and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. So I'm that so glad. Was just so fun. Too. That was a such blast. a fun trip. It was so fun. I yeah. didn't want to go at all. And it ended up being like the highlight of my summer. So, so. much fun. <laughs> it was awesome. Well, all right, Heather, we have our work cut out for us today as we enter James chapter two, verses one through 13. And our big topic for today is favoritism. And for some of you right in the very top of your subtitles of your Bible, it's going to say favoritism is forbidden. And so that gives you a little bit of a clue of what we're going to talk about today. Also, this word favoritism in some of your translations, it's going to be translated as partiality. And so just know we will be interchanging those words as we go through our conversation today. But what we're going to talk about is what favoritism is, how it is playing out in the early church, how it is playing out in our lives today, and how it's so unbelievably inconsistent with the heart of God that it really can have no part in our lives today. So Heather, we got our work cut out for <laughs> us. Are you ready to do this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So Heather, I have a question for you to right start off the bat. Okay. Mm -hmm. I want you to imagine something. Okay. Okay. You walk into a room. In the room, there are tables spread out with all kinds of people, different groups of people at different tables. Maybe it's a lunchroom, maybe it's a work meeting, maybe it's a wedding, maybe it's church. I don't know what it is. But you walk in and immediately your mind starts ticking because you're trying to figure out where you're going to sit. Mm. Tell me. No church answers here. This has <laughs> got to be real. Tell me. What are you thinking and how do you choose where to sit? This is such a good question. And it's a good question too because – 
you know, we do this so often and now it's like, okay, what, what does influence what I, where I go? Um, for sure, I would go just people I'm comfortable with, you know, people I know, people I'm familiar with. Um, I think selfishly, I would consider like who is the most fun, who mm. is, um, who would like provide me a good time, you know, if it's a meeting, who's going to make me laugh, who's going to like crack the jokes. Um, yeah. And then other spaces too. It's like who, who's in, who are the people I'm familiar with, mm. um, who do I know? And um, maybe a meeting, I think selfishly, there may be times where I'm like, oh, that would be a cool person <laughs> to connect with. Like, maybe I'll go sit by them, which was certainly Sue Ann of a course. bunch of times. <laughs> <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> Isn't that funny, though, that that's our, that is just our natural human tendency is we look, we scan a room and we think, who is most like me? Mm. Who do I feel good about being with? Who do I want to get to know? Who mm. maybe can benefit me yeah. in this relationship, right? Who Who's going to get me the job or get my kid, you know, that internship that they've mm. been trying to get or whatever it yeah. may be. Like we have all of these things go through our mind. And what's striking to me is, is it's just human nature. So mm. we can know we know the right thing to do. We know when we look at the room and we think, oh, we should actually go sit by this person that maybe is the last person we want to sit by, but maybe they need a friend today or maybe I need to get to know them or whatever it may be. But it's just not what we're inclined to do as human beings. Yeah. Yeah. And I think often like for me, my mind just doesn't even go there. My mind is just like, oh, what what would be good for me? You know, Mm -hmm. what serves me or what what is fun to me? And um, yeah, it's like, how do we bring ourselves out of our own, mind out of our own selves for the the well-being of others yes which is what james chapter two is all about (laughs) so it's so great and i think we need to um even take this a step further Mm -hmm. is yes so who am i comfortable with who am i safe with Uh, what is fun what makes me feel good who looks like me Mm. who who do i associate with who can benefit me all of those things and then now i want you to imagine and the audience to imagine with us take it a next step further Mm. and what if we walk into a room and most people don't look like us Mm. and don't sound like us or that one table or half the room or whatever it may be because let's face it most of us travel in circles Mm. that most people do look like us I mean it's it's and it's not just us here at Christ Church of Oakbrook or wherever you may be listening from it's our American culture today we tend to segregate ourselves based on who looks like us, who sounds yeah. like us, who we feel good around. Mm-hmm. And so now let's put us ourselves in the place as we think of walking into James chapter two is what if we walk in and all of a sudden it's not the people we're used to being around. And it's actually a group of people who are not the same mm-hmm. color as us, who are not the same ethnicity as us. Mm-hmm who are not in the same social standing as us, who are not wearing the same clothes as us, all of those things. And what we've done is we've just kicked it up a notch because sometimes we can see our favoritism or our partiality in settings where a lot of people look like us, but all of a sudden when we're in settings where people don't look like us, it's like that just takes it to a whole new level of revealing our humanity. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really good. And I think even just thinking through that, Sue Ann, it's like, man, my my empathy is just rolling of like, yeah, I'm so used to being in places where I do fit in. But yeah, what if what if we were on the other side? What if I'm in a circumstance where that's where I'm not on the end or I'm not like with people who are like me? You know, it, it just gives you a greater empathy for the 
people who are more often in those spaces. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that we probably should put ourselves in those spaces more often when we're not. So that's a a good word, yeah. (laughs) So Heather, will you do me the honor and just read, um, just to give our audience some context and let them know where we're headed here, read James uh, chapter two, verses one through four. Yeah, absolutely. All right, James 2, 1 says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must show no favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you to sit, Um, or here's a good seat for you. Sorry, I said that wrong. But say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Mm. So let's paint a picture of what would have been happening here in the early church. So we have said in earlier episodes that the the early church, one of the things that's so fascinating about the early church is they were void of class distinctions. So not out in the society at large, but when Jesus called this community, this new community to a new way of life, all of a sudden you had a whole mix of people who were not used to associating with each other in society now trying to figure out how to worship together. So you had slaves and masters, you had men and women, you had poor people and you had rich people. And 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 just because this was the new way of life, it didn't mean that people weren't still, just like we talked about today, right? We know better on how we should come into certain situations and we know that we shouldn't show favoritism to certain people based on what they look like or what they have. But yet, we just do. Mm-hmm. And so this this picture in the early church, those people, um, all the, sudden these class distinctions don't exist, and now they're trying to figure out how to treat one another and mm-hmm. how to live out their faith in the way that uh, Jesus called them to. And what's so interesting about the early church is that most of them actually would have been poor. Mm-hmm. And if you think about this, it makes a lot of sense because when you look at the ministry of Jesus, he spent most of his time mm. out in the countryside, out in the rural areas. He's with the masses and the commoners, and he's teaching and he's healing and he's feeding people. And he, you know, we see uh, blind people coming to see, and we see the lepers and the beggars and all these people that Jesus went into the margins of society to reach. Um, and of course, they would flood the early church because for the first time, maybe in their lives. Jesus assigned value to them that was not attached to their place in society. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah. And man, hearing you say that, Sue Ann, it just gets me fired up to be like, man, that's our savior. Mm -hmm. Like we get to follow. That's our God is that when he was here on earth, those are the people he he loved and cared for. And yeah, just hearing you you say that got me excited. Yeah, because that's, I mean, when he stepped in to this world, you know, the first thing that was said about him by other people was he came to proclaim the good news to the poor. Mm. And Jesus himself, his very first um, sermon that he gave in the synagogues, he said he came to fulfill the words of Isaiah. I came to proclaim good news to the poor. And so Jesus just keeps saying it. And he means poor in spirit. So there's a spiritual poverty going on that he knows people need him. But he actually meant the poor because, again, Jesus came to turn this whole thing, mm. right, usher in the kingdom and turn the whole thing on its head. So so in the early church, this would have been a huge mind shift. And so let's set the scene a little bit further. So imagine now 
There are a lot of poor people in the church. There's a mix of people. But in this um, poor, lower class, uh, societal outcast kind of church, now all of a sudden in walks someone of stature, someone who has resources, someone who has influence, someone who, as the text tells us at the time, would have been wearing a lot of rings. That was one way they showed their their status. They wore a lot of rings. They wore gold. They wore fine clothes. And I, I just have this picture. I don't know, Heather, who comes to mind for you. For me, I kept thinking, like, imagine this small little poor church and in walks like Meghan Markle. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, who comes to mind to you? Does anyone leap to mind? That's kind of where my... That's so funny. I don't know if a specific person comes to mind, but I just imagine this like super bougie, like big fur coat and like a whole bunch of rings and <laughs> something. Right. Like, walking right. In. And so what happens, even though the, the early church knows better, what happens is everyone... Um, does everything they can and clamors for the attention of this person that now walks in. And I was reading a little bit of background information and even one person said, you know, it was thought to believe that even the person on stage, so the preacher, pastor, leader, whatever we would call that, would actually come come down. Now, okay, they didn't have stages then, so that's, <laughs> I'm mixing my modern culture with that. Um, but imagine today in our churches if the pastor comes off the stage and actually welcomes that person in a way that they haven't taken time to welcome welcome anybody else. And not only that, mm. right after that, a poor person comes in and no one pays any attention to them. And not only are they not given the best seat in the house, they are told to sit on the floor mm. or find standing room only. Well, and I can imagine the frustration that, that church leaders are feeling like James, where it's like Jesus came and he had his ministry and, and we followed him and we're followers of Jesus's way. And, you know, we're, we're reaching out to the poor. And then all of a sudden churches start kind of shifting a little bit and start giving favor to 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 people who would give them value in return. And, and James is like, wait, no, this is not what we're about. This right. is not what our, our church is founded on. This is not what Jesus taught us. And I could just imagine uh, his frustration in that moment and, and when he's writing this letter. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Heather, you had some really great notes of even looking back a little bit mm. of last week of uh, what we just came off of with James in, in verses 26 and 27 of chapter 1 about being polluted by the world and how what the religious consider themselves. And I thought you had some really good insight I would love for you to share. Yeah, yeah. So something that I hear us talking a lot about in seminary is is just the reality that these are often these letters were often written or sorry spoken out loud they would um, be read to an audience and so if if you look at the the verses that come just immediately before chapter two um, let me just read those for you real quick it says those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, if you were to put yourself in the, the shoes of someone listening to this letter, hearing being polluted by the world, and then immediately this concept of we should no, show no favoritism, um, it almost, you know, it draws your connection to to one of the ways that we are polluted is that we are um, drawn to show favoritism. One way that the the world um, kind of teaches us wrongly is that we should treat people differently. And um, and I think what James is saying here is that that we should reject this pollution of favoritism um, in our world. 
um, something that N.T. Wright says that I thought was just um, really well written is, um, or just kind of a fun way to think about it. He said, um, don't let the world leave its smudge on you. And, mm. and I thought that the word smudge was kind of funny, but, um, but not letting the world kind of influence the way we think and or pollute the way we think to use um, James's language. And, and I think, um, yeah, like I said, just the way that it's written, it, it almost draws our attention to the, the fact that showing favoritism is one of the very ways that, uh, that James sees um, us being polluted by the world. I love what you're saying about this smudge of the world. That's such good imagery and, and such a good language of what James is talking about here. So the other thing I want to ask you, Heather, that I also think you had some great insight on is um, why do you think, so why do you think, where does favoritism come from? What does it look like? Where do you think that comes from initially, even when we know that it's not right? What do we need to be aware of in ourselves? And then let's talk about how it's inconsistent with the character of God. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I, in preparation for our convo today, Sue Ann, I um, watched this video called, it's called The Beat. And so mm-hmm. they just had some really cool thoughts. And so if you want to check out what The Beat has to say on John 2, um, I thought it was helpful. Um, so one thing that they mentioned about, like, why do we have favoritism? Um, or why does that, why, where does it come from? And um, the, the guy who led this, this conversation was talking about how we make judgments, um, whether we know intellectually or not, uh, or whether or not we know intellectually better, we know that we shouldn't be judging people in a certain way. We automatically have these assumptions, good or bad, about a person. And these assumptions come from uh, what we hear about a person. Um, Mm -hmm. So maybe what other people have said about them to us. Um, We make assumptions based off of what they look like, their appearance. Um, And we make assumptions even based off of our past experience with them. And so Mm -hmm. we maybe if they acted a certain way in the past, we assume that that's what they're going to be like in the future. And so those are three things that I think influence our favoritism, what we hear about them, what we see, and um, what we've experienced. Um, But then how does that play out? I think our favoritism plays out in the way that we value connection with some people over others. Mm. Um, So by the way we treat people, by the way we talk to them and even you know the root of it all is how how do we think about them what are our thoughts surrounding that person we're around and ultimately um the the reality is that favoritism shows its ugly head in the way that we show respect to some people more than Mm -hmm. others and so that's kind of how he parsed out favoritism that i thought was super helpful Um, but as you mentioned sue ann this favoritism is just simply inconsistent with the heart of and character of our good God. Uh, God, as we've mentioned, he, he caters or he, he serves the poor and he's, he calls them the ones who are rich in faith. And we see even throughout scripture, uh, our, our church founders and those who have come before us um, reflect on um, how God, God's character does not show partiality. And um, in preparation for our time together, I um, so I have this really cool Bible software mm. that um, Northern uh, encouraged me to get. And so what I did is I just looked up how many times the word partiality comes up in the Bible. Um, seriously, praise God for like super cool software <laughs> like awesome. that. Um, 
but we just it came up more than I thought. It came up um, in a whole bunch of Paul's letters. Paul seems to ref- reflect on this characteristic of God quite a bit. Um, he, in terms of the whole Jew and Gentile debate that was so prominent in the first century, he, he calls out, he says, uh, for God does not show favoritism there. And then in Ephesians, when he's talking about a godly household um, and he's um, addressing masters, he um, he says um, that there should be no favoritism there. Actually, let me read this verse. This, I think this one is super good. Mm. He says, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he is both their master and yours. Wait, sorry. Since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him, calling to attention that we have the same master, the same God who made that the slave is the same God who made the mm-hmm. master. God loves them equally, that there is no partiality. Um, and then we'll see it again in Colossians and in Acts and then in Corinthians. Um, Paul just reflects again and on, again and again on this, this characteristic of God that does not show favoritism or partiality. And so the spaces where we tend mm-hmm. towards favoritism, I think it's just important to name that that is, that is against a very characteristic of the God who we love and who we follow. Yeah, I love that so much. And I'm so glad you pointed out all of those verses because I too was, and you found way more than I did. I need to get that cool software. Yeah, yeah I'll show you. That. Um, you found way more than I did, but it is striking when you see how many times it's repeated throughout the scriptures that God does not show favoritism Mm -hmm. and how uh, the disciples are calling us not to show that favoritism and, and how that really is a characteristic of God. And I, I I mean, we know it, but Mm -hmm. I've never like seeing all those verses together was so stunning for me. And one of the other things I found was um, looking at the story of Jesus himself when he was approached by a bunch of the religious leaders and they were trying to trick him and trap him as Mm they did so often. And one of the things they say to Jesus, and this is in the message translation, but they say, teacher, we know you have integrity, teach the way of God accurately, are indifferent to popular opinion and don't pander to your students. Mm -hmm. And so they recognized it about Jesus, that that was the way that he Mm -hmm. walked and taught and lived and moved. And people who weren't even followers of him said, we've noticed that you don't really show favoritism to people as as you live your life on this earth. And I just thought that's the embodiment of who Jesus is and then his followers seeing that. And now the Pauls and the Peters and the Jameses who are writing these letters now that um, are telling us not to do that. I think that's that's such a beautiful picture of of the way God works. So let's move into this next piece of James, uh, starting with uh, verse five through eight. And we, he goes into this, um, another section and we've touched on some of this where he says listen my dear brothers has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him so we've we've already talked about that but James is calling out again the character and the heart of God and the ministry of Jesus isn't isn't this what he's done and then James says to the the listeners 
but you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of to of him to whom you belong? And so this is just another layer of context of what's happening during that time is there were a lot of poor people who owed rich people money. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes if you borrowed from a rich person, number one, they would exploit you. They would um, not be kind about the fact that you owed them money. They would take advantage of the poor, make them pay uh, more than they even should when a lot of the poor people couldn't even put food on their table. Mm-hmm. And so so there was definitely this um, not very nice thing going on between the rich and the poor in the society. And one of the things that could happen that James is alluding to here is that if a poor person and owned a rich person money, they could, the rich person could actually go and literally grab them by the back of the shirt in the middle of the street and just drag them into jail. And they could do whatever they wanted to them, treat them poorly, kick them, beat them, take them to jail. It was called an instant arrest, Mm. which I thought is very interesting because it also, um, you know, there's so much going on in our society today. When you think about that a little bit and some of the injustices that are happening, um, that that can also, it just creates a little bit of a picture and a little bit of um, texture on that as well. But what is so interesting is the rich person had no grace or sympathy or mercy for the poor person. They just tried to take advantage of them as much as they could. And so what's so interesting is that's what you had going on in the, in the society and in the world around them. But yet when that same rich person who was exploiting the poor walked into the church, we already saw how they were being treated. And so it was this weird place of people still treating them a certain way, even though they were treating the poor and other people very poorly, because the poor also in this weird kind of twisted way wanted the favor of the rich person because it somehow would elevate their own status Mm -hmm. or maybe it would gain them favor in not having to pay back their debt or whatever it may be. And I just thought how often this also happens in our culture today when um, there are people who are not necessarily good people, Mm. (laughs) Uh, but yet they have the money, they have the status, they are the leader, they're the CEO, they're the whatever they may be. Um, And we can look the other way even when we learn that they are not treating people in a certain way, they're treating people poorly. And yet, because the world says they're great, we still tend to look at them Mm. and find favor in them, which is a really interesting thing to think about. Yeah, that's, yeah, really interesting thing to think about too. And my mind goes, um, and I don't mean to to make a stereotype out of, you know, middle school or high school girls, because I working with them, I can tell you a million times that they are not the stereotype and that they're, they're beautiful and brilliant and bright. And they, um, yeah, so many good things to say, especially about the girls in our communities. But when you think about this, this classic middle school, high school stereotype of, of there being cliques and, and, um, the, the lead, the mean girl, the queen bee, and then the, the girls who kind of, um, yeah, come alongside her, they're often that stereotype is that the the one leading is not always very nice, but still um, because there is like social um, capital or value in um, following her, there, there's like a um, an ability to, to forget about those things so that you can still be their friend mm-hmm. and to, um, yeah, just a desire to still fit in with them even when um, you can acknowledge that that is not maybe not how you'd want to be treated. And um, 
yeah, I just even hearing that of how our world does that so often, it, you know, it sounds kind of juvenile. And, and the reality is that, um, you know, it's a sin problem that we, um, yeah, desire that value and that favor and to, to fit in um, even when we can acknowledge that there is not so good qualities in that person that we're valuing. Uh, isn't it funny how, yeah, maybe that's stereotypical middle school, but it, it just keeps carrying on, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like you said, because of our human nature towards that. It's, I think we can all just identify with that and, and recognize, or at least hope like this conversation hopefully helps us to start recognize how prone we are to that and mm. when we do it. And even just going back to the conversation with Aaron last week about how we need to be um, slow, uh, quick to listen and sl- I always say it, you know, quick to listen <laughs> uh-huh. and slow to talk. Um, I always get it backwards for some reason, but because that's part of the way that God's God's word works on us and we sit with this stuff and we let it wrestle in our soul so that we say, God, show us, show us where I do this, mm-hmm. show, reveal this to me. Let me, show me my blind spot. Show me where I, I have these biases that I just don't even know or not even aware of. Yeah. Because the, the flip side of that is, I mean, Hopefully, not hopefully, but I would imagine that any of us listening, myself included, have been on the other side of that where we have felt the um, the partiality of someone else and not in a good way, mm. but we because we didn't bring to the table what they wanted. Mm. We weren't the most important person in the room. We weren't the best looking. We didn't have the most money. And we have felt that slight mm. and how devaluing that is. And how it makes us feel like then our identity is based on things that, you know, oftentimes we don't even have control over. Yeah. I was in the book publishing industry for a while. And what's interesting, even I I have felt this as an author, is if I was ever somewhere uh, where there are a lot of authors and all of a sudden it was like the, you knew who the big time authors were in Mm -hmm. the room who were selling the most books. And sometimes I would be like, I think I wrote a better book than you, honestly. And then my heart of hearts, <laughs> I think I wrote a better book than you. But because you sold more books, you're going to get more attention. And and I have just, I have felt that, mm. um, you know, I, I have felt what that feels like on the receiving end and how, how for lack of a better word, icky that feels how devaluing mm. it is and I just I'm sitting here thinking about times I've made other people feel that way mm. even unknowingly yeah um, and that's just it's you know talking about something very materialistic like um, writing or selling or publishing a book but then you think about people who are feeling this way because of the color of their skin mm. because of their gender because of their ethnicity because yeah. of their the size of their house mm. whatever it may be and how often we not knowing it have contributed to that in yeah. someone else. Yeah. No, that that is so good and I think that we can all absolutely relate to that feeling of like feeling like you yeah, for whatever reason don't measure up and mm-hmm. that yeah, you're right, it's an icky feeling and feeling left out or that you don't feel in, man, it just makes you want to run and hide. Yeah. And that is not the that is not the kingdom that God has for us, especially yeah. within the church, because it's not like it doesn't happen within the church. Right. You know, it happens out there. It happens within the church. It happens everywhere. It's just part of the waters that we swim in. I think, and and being part of this culture today. Yeah, man, it just just makes you, uh, Lord, give us the eyes to see the places yes. where we are contributing to that, or yes. making people feel left out, or to to feel on the outside and just 
yeah, makes you want to fight against it to yes. um, be aware of those spaces. That's right. That's a good word. All right. Well, let's move on to our last couple verses here. So in um, verses 8 through 11, uh, James goes into this piece about the law. And again, he keeps coming back to if you really are who you say you are, if you really believe in Jesus, if you really value um, one another, like he says we should, if you are a keeper of the law that's found in scripture, then here's what you need to do. Here's how we need to live out our faith, which is the whole message of James. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. This is good. You're doing good if you do this. So when you do that, you keep the royal law. But when you don't, if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Forever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. And it goes on a little bit more. But Heather, what do you what do you make of this idea of, um, you know, the law is not just, oh, I broke this piece, but I kept this piece and I did okay over here. But what James is saying here is when you break the, you don't break a piece of law, mm. you break the whole law. Is that what he's saying? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's absolutely what he's saying. And and one like image I was given to understand this concept is uh, with a chain link. Mm. Um, and so it was like, imagine that you're on a swing that's being held up by chain links. Um, when one of those breaks, you, like it doesn't matter to you which one broke, you know, if it's broken, like you're on your butt, you're like mm. sitting on the floor. <laughs> like it's, it's, if it's broken, it's broken. It doesn't matter which one it is. And I thought that was a really helpful way of understanding what James is saying here is if, you know, if you, if you aren't loving your neighbor fully, that's a broken law. And mm. we, and we can look to, we can point our fingers at those who commit adultery and those who, who murder. But, but if you're not loving your neighbor fully, then, then you are just as much breaking the law as, as if you were one of them. Mm. I think for the listeners of, um, James's letter, particularly in this section, it would have kind of been like a, like, Oh snap, like kind of moment <laughs> because, James is saying he, he's pointing out like, hey, this this favoritism that we're talking about, it's not it's not just something nice we do mm. as Christians. Like we're not just being nice Christians when we don't show favoritism. It is literally the law mm. that that we are breaking. It is it it goes against who Jesus is at his core, who he um, yeah showed us to be, the way that he gave us. It's um, it's it's breaking the law of love that he offered us when we. Um, when we fail to, or when we show favoritism. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you know, um, Jesus demonstrates this so beautifully when he tells the parable of the good Samaritan. And I know for those of you who go to Christ church, we've been walking through this story in the last month through our sermon series. And, um, he, he demonstrates this law of love and, and the way that the priest and the Levite walked by the priest and the Levite would have been the people who we would have expected to, uh, do the right thing, who were the favored people of that time. And yet Jesus takes the Samaritan, this person who would have been viewed very poorly at that time and not been the person that anybody would have showed favor on. It would have been the exact opposite. And yet he's the one when the person comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to fulfill the law? And Jesus says, love your neighbor as mm -hmm. yourself you know, love the Lord, your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the expert of the law says, well, who is my neighbor? And this is the story that Jesus tells to demonstrate that. And we see who broke the law and who didn't and mm -hmm. what that looked like and the way the Samaritan went above and beyond in a situation to fulfill the law 
and love his neighbor. And again, this way that Jesus keeps flipping the kingdom upside down. Mm, yeah. So we get to these last couple of verses, and I'm excited to talk about mercy because um, this allows us to end kind of on a on a high note. <laughs> I, I love this piece. Um, and the last couple of verses then go beyond what James is saying. You know, he set this whole picture up for us. And then he finishes by saying, to speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Heather, what hits you when you read these couple verses? What does God kind of stir in you when you see, especially that last line mm. uh, about mercy triumphing over judgment? Yeah, I I think, Sue Ann, just as we're talking, I, you know, there's an element of me that, that does feel convicted of like playing into these um, favoritism structures that, that are at place in our world today and, and even myself, like, yeah, I am convicted of, of showing favoritism and partiality. And so reading that, that mercy triumphs over judgment, it's just how thankful am I that we have such a merciful and loving Father mm-hmm. and um, and just am, am thankful for a God who is rich in mercy and, and gives mercies new every single day. And we, and we get to live into that. And so in each day we get to, yeah, to st- take new steps of, of, in his mercy and, and learning to live like Jesus. And that's, I guess that's primarily what's on my mind. Yeah. Well, and it goes back to knowing the heart of God and yeah. knowing the character of God because, and we've talked about this in other podcast episodes. If you don't believe at the end of the day that God is good, yeah, that he is merciful, that he is the things that you just shared. If we don't believe he is a God that is rich in mercy, First of all, we, we've missed the character of God, so we need to sit with that for a minute and say, okay, no matter what's going on in my life, do I believe these things mm-hmm. are true of God, regardless of circumstance? We've talked a lot about this through this these last couple episodes. Regardless of um, if there is favoritism, if I am on the the receiving end of that icky stuff, do I still believe that my God loves me, that he still values me, that he is still good in spite of where I might find myself or how other people treat Mm. me? And so it's going back to that very heart and nature and character of God and how important it is for us to really hold on to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how you feel about this word, but whenever I see judgment, I like, I feel uncomfortable because judgment to us, I think, it, it has a bad it's uncomfortable and like judging is is feels bad but i think it's just such a, an important reminder that that god's judgment is is good god mm. is good and so his judgment is good and so as we witnessed with jesus here on earth he cares so deeply for the vulnerable and the poor and the outcast and the hurting and so when there is judgment it's it's a good thing because it's on behalf of these people mm. and um and so he hearing the word judgment or reading the word judgment and and just knowing automatically that that comes from just a good and merciful God um, is something that I need to be reminded of too. Yeah. And putting God in his proper place in that judgment, Mm -hmm. it goes back to what we saw in one of the early verses about us not, uh, it's not our place to judge, right? We should not be sitting, when we show favoritism, 
we then sit in the place of a judge mm-hmm. because we are judging, we are determining the value of someone else based on what we're seeing. And that's not, uh, that's not what God calls us to. Like we saw last week, he asked us to throw those things off as we come to him. And so what a beautiful picture and what a, what a thing that we can rest in that gives us peace when we really understand that God's judgment is so that we don't have to, (laughs) we don't have to sit in that place and worry about if we need to be the ones that, um, who we give mercy to and who we don't and how we show it. Because at the end of the day, God is the one Mm -hmm. who, who gives it all, but he's also the one that sits in that seat of judgment. That's going to bring the ultimate judgment to the things of this world that are unjust, Mm. that aren't right. Yeah. He's going to set all things right. Yeah. He's going to make all things new. Amen. Mm. You know, the other thing that, that sticks out to me about this last line, I love these these just words, mercy triumphs over judgment, is, is even as we're having this conversation, is to really get this and to really live this out and to really be women who move through our lives like this, we have to understand that um, we have to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to understand what he really came to do. Mm. We have to understand the depths of our own sin. We have to be willing to turn the mirror on ourselves and to look at what is not uh, right and good about us. We've, we've talked about temptations and, and doubt and actions that hurt others and all of these things. And we need to see those things and how ugly God sees them. And that sounds really Icky, like you said, just just as you said, it sounds um, that word judgment kind of is if it's not in its proper place. But I think when we can really understand the depth of our sin, not to make us feel like we're bad people. I don't mean it like that. We don't want to dwell in that place of sin. But when we understand it, then we see what God has actually Mm -hmm. set us free from. We start to understand the love he has lavished on us, the mercy that he has given to us, what he's rescued us from, what he has restored us to, how he calls us sons and daughters, all Mm -hmm. these beautiful things that we get to be part of in the kingdom of God. It's because of God's mercy. Mm -hmm. And so I think for us to show mercy to other people, we really have to understand that if we are a person that really struggles in this place, I think we have to go back and ask ourselves, do we really understand the grace and mm-hmm. the mercy that we have received? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that kind of boils down to, to a pride in ourself too. Like I, I know for me, there are sometimes where it's like, I want to hide that ugly part of my sin. But, mm-hmm. but when we do that, we're not you know, recognizing the beauty and the love and the the grace that God has given us, and um, yeah, I you said it the best you could mm. too. And I just I just um, totally relate, and um, yeah, that's just yeah. really really well, good. Well, we just need to we need to hear it. I think we need to be reminded of it mm. because we we it's really easy. And I'm speaking for myself. It's really easy to walk through this life thinking I'm doing pretty good. You know, I'm I'm doing pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. I do the right things. I I I try to do all the the things to follow the law you know Mm -hmm. I try try to love my neighbor I try to love Jesus all these things but I think really to come back and sit with these places to realize you know what you're not all that and again I don't mean that in a devaluing way but to say but for the grace of God yeah but for the grace and mercy of God there is nothing good that lives inside me Mm -hmm. and there's nothing good that lives inside of you and and so I think holding those things in tension and living with that awareness then helps us and shapes us and transforms us and how we can love 
one another mm. in the way that James is talking about here. Yeah. I was thinking um, about the story of um, uh, back in Charleston, North Car- Charleston, South Carolina, the story of the um, Dylan Roof who mm. came in to that um, church in Charleston and killed nine people. And I don't know if you saw this or if you remember this. I know there's other stories like this, but this is the one that God kept bringing to mind today in this mercy triumphs over judgment. Just the most horrific thing. I can't even imagine a more horrific thing than him coming into that church, sitting with them in that Bible study, in that prayer meeting, and then doing what he did in this in the way that he did it. I mean, it's just unimaginable. And yet I remember seeing the news coverage of um, him being in court and the families of some of the victims who had been killed coming in and showering him and speaking words of mercy and grace. Mm. And I, I don't know that I could do that. I honestly, I think of people who have had harm done to their families, their children, you know, all of the injustices. And to think, could I, if that were me, could I sit and look at someone who has harmed the people I love so much and shower them with mercy and grace? And I, I look at that and I look at this family and I think now those are people who have to understand the mercy of God. Mm. They have to get this because it's the only way you can turn around and give it to someone else if you really understand mm. what God came to do on this earth. So Heather, do you have a final word for us? Do you have anything else you want to throw in there before we sign off for the day? And I'm just so thankful to have been here and Suan, this is just such a beautiful space to to remind our to, to remind each other of truth mm-hmm. and to remind um, each other of God's mercy and love for each and every one of us and and yeah, you're so right to say that like man, we are all broken, but like the the point is that that like God gave us mercy and that we get to accept that and receive that. And so, yeah, just thankful for spaces like these where we can remind each other of that. That's right. We need to keep doing it. So thanks so much, Heather, for being here with us today. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule to just give them your, give us your wisdom and your love and your encouragement. I so appreciate you being here. And uh, we are going to need to see some pictures from January 2nd. So uh, make sure you send some <laughs> to us so we can celebrate with you. Sounds good. Thank All you. Right. Thanks, thanks for, for being here. Well, friends, thanks for hanging with us for another week as we let these words of James continue to challenge and transform us as we go deeper still. I think the invitation for us today as we walk through this week and the weeks to come is to continue to ask God to reveal to us where we are prone to show this favoritism, impartiality, and even discrimination, and ask him to give us eyes to see, like Heather said, give us eyes to see others as God sees them, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So hopefully you can do that as you walk through your week. Hey, don't forget, if you are in the Oak Brook vicinity, we'll be collecting items for our local food drive, as well as Christmas shoe boxes to support local families in need, especially as we approach the holidays. It's become really important. So please visit our website at Christchurch.us forward slash serve for more information, or you can follow Christchurch Women on Facebook or Instagram to learn more as well. Also remember, you can listen to Deeper Still on the Christchurch website or on your favorite podcast platform like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. So be sure to subscribe, follow, like, and of course, share with your friends so they can join in all the fun. 
Well, I hope you have learned a few things about favoritism today. I also do hope that you'll spend some of your day enjoying some of your favorite things. So whatever that may be, I pray God meets you in the midst of it, that he reminds you how much you are loved, how much you are valued, and how much he accepts you in this life. So keep going deeper still, and we'll see you back next week as Mo Gherkins whose resume is about as impressive as you can get. Actually, you're going to stay tuned for that. So she's going to join us next week to chat about the rest of James chapter two. So thanks again for joining us here at Deeper Still. Have a great day and we'll see you back next week.